Hi, I'm Paul Haverschrud, host of The Cost of Living. It's a show about money and how it shapes our lives. In big ways, like why inflation could get worse if we all make more money. Here's the hard truth in all of this. Workers are going to have to eat that real wage loss. And small ways, like what's the fastest way to order fast food? That first Big Mac that comes out of the kitchen is going to the drive-thru. Check out The Cost of Living. We're on CBC Listen or wherever you get podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hey, I'm Tom Power. Welcome to Q. Uh, Do you remember this song? That's a bit of Do They Know It's Christmas, a song co-written by Bob Geldof in the early 80s. Uh, back then, Bob was just the front man for an Irish band called the Boomtown Rats. But in 84, he goes to Ethiopia and witnesses the famine, which was killing hundreds of thousands of people. He realizes he couldn't just stand on the sidelines. He had to do something. He makes some calls. He pulls together uh, the UK and Ireland's biggest musicians, like at the time, like Wham, U2, Bananarama, to record a single, uh, that single, to raise money for Ethiopia. Then Bob Geldof goes on to uh, start the epic benefit concert Live Aid, and then artists in other countries start following his lead. Here in Canada, you might remember a bunch of musicians, and Brian Adams was in charge of that one, came up with uh, Tears Are Not Enough. And in the U.S., it was We Are the World. There is a new documentary about the recording session that led to that song. It featured everyone from Bob Dylan to Cyndi Lauper to Bruce Springsteen to Lionel Richie. And in the documentary, which is called The Greatest Night in Pop, you actually see this moment where Bob Geldof tells the musicians what he saw in Ethiopia and how he wants them to get serious and channel that into the song. On some of the camps, you see 15 bags of flour for 27,500 people. And you see meningitis and malaria and typhoid buzzing around in the air and you see dead bodies lying side by side and it's that that we're here for and I assume that that's why we're all here tonight and I don't want to bring anybody down but maybe it's the best way of making what you really feel why you're really here tonight come out through this song so thanks a lot everybody and let's hope it works You know, this documentary is getting a lot of attention right now, and it reminded us of when we caught up with Bob Geldof a few years ago. It was when the Boomtown Rats had a new album out. He was in Toronto, and we talked about those years, and we got to some pretty interesting stuff. How he has used his platform to affect political change, even today, how he's managed to stay hopeful and shut cynicism out. But we started with what he remembers from being on stage at Wembley in London for Live Aid in 85. Here's my conversation with Bob Geldof. I remember being the pop singer with my band and being able to relax into the familiar because up to then it was all fear, tension, the uh, organisational continuum um, would it work. Uh, um, moments, rock and roll moments stay with me just before, I, I hadn't slept the night, I hadn't slept for many nights, I was scared stiff. Um, what were you scared of? Failure. Um 
lots of things. I had no contracts with anyone, no contracts with the stadiums, you know, would they let us in? Would anyone show up? I mean, 17 hours of the Boomtown Rats might be a big bit much even for me, you know. <laughs> and, uh, so, uh, uh, but, you know, personal failure on such, I mean, quite literally, I mean, this sounds silly, I don't take it the wrong way, but literally in a planetary level. Um, and, uh, and then failure... Um, for all those people, um, some of whom you've named, who'd given up or put aside many, many enmities, Pete Townsend having to make up with Roger Daughtry for a couple of minutes, Paul McCartney coming back after six years, not really wanting, he wasn't prepared to do live. Eric Clapton giving up three days in Vegas and just saying to hell with it, I'm coming. Led Zeppelin reforming, Black Sabbath reforming, the Beach Boys reforming, the Who reforming. Um, Queen almost dead in the water. And suddenly, you know, you see this great band emerge like a butterfly from a chrysalis. You too, um, having huge fights at the side of the stage, believing that they'd ended their career. In fact, it tipped them over the top. Uh, so those things stick in my head, but really um, the, the greatest fear was failing those in whose name we were doing it and who would never know we were doing it and had never heard of any of these people. That would have been a crime more than a failure. So I was very afraid and um, that day uh, my back was killing me because I guess I wasn't sleeping. And I was lying down on a flight case and David Bowie walked over and said, turn over. And I turned over and here's the big secret. David Bowie could have been a great masseuse. And um, he started massaging me and um, that's a great rock and roll moment. And the guys and the rats came over and said, come on, we're on. And uh, I went on and suddenly it was okay. I was in my job. and yeah. But what I remember is the romance that everybody else felt hitting me suddenly and the romance for me was that anyone I'd ever met in my life uh, my dad and my relationship with him was at best fraught was there um, anyone I possibly said hello to just in passing was watching and there were people at this moment in Vladivostok or Tierra del Fuego watching this now and I needed to pause to take this in, the enormity of this thing. To take that snapshot. Um, or just to accept it and reconcile myself with it, um, that it was something other. And I, I, I pulled up sharp because suddenly the words of that song you, you started with, um, I, I was coming up to the line which was, the lesson today is how to die. And suddenly just the, the mad... Co coincidence of everything pulled me up sharp and I sang the lesson today is how to die the lesson today is how to die and I stopped dead and my hand was gesturing and it just stayed up in the air and there was this massive roar of, I don't know, comprehension or something from the crowd. And I, I've got to remember this, and I looked to my right and tracked right along the whole length and breadth of Wembley Stadium. And when my eyes came back to me, 
I just, okay, I'll move on now. And uh, yeah, that, that was that was when it sort of hit me what it was. Thank you very much. I just realised today is the best day in my life. Did it do what you wanted? Oh, completely. I mean, um, it's the weirdest thing to be able to say that for once in our lives something worked. Um, and it wasn't that day. I mean, what's amazing, and, you know, you, you're steeped in music and history, um, is that people forget Live Eight, which Canada hugely participated Well, that was my, in. I mean, I wasn't around during Live Eight. I yeah. was around for Live Eight. And Live Eight was the culmination of the project that began with the Christmas song. I see the TV one night. I'm disgusted and ashamed. I react in the only way that's viable for me. I write a tune with my mate Midge. And we think we'd be out of there by Christmas. It's Christmas time. But this becomes a phenomenon. The Americans call and say, will you come over and do this track? We are the world. We are the children. We are the okay, and then it occurs to me we can unite this whole idea into a concert, and then we're gone. except the concert makes millions. But it was the realisation that um, famine is uh, to die of want in a world of surpluses, um, economically illiterate, um, intellectually absurd and morally repulsive because you don't die of hunger from lack of food, you die from lack of money. We won't die if there's uh, a famine in Canada. Food will be bought, food will be sent to us. If we run out of food in our, in our larders or our fridge, we go to the supermarket. So it was economics. To change economics, you must engage with the agents of change, which, like it or not, hold your nose, you've got to talk to the politicians. We had a huge lobby, 1.2 billion people, 95% of the television sets on earth watched that concert. They can't ignore politics is just numbers. They can't ignore it. And so it took 20 years of trawling around the chancelleries of the world. And as that generation, that live aid generation came to power, Clinton, Blair, Brown, Schroeder, Cameron, Osborne, the doors opened. And I was able to persuade Blair that for the British G8 in 2005, he puts this wound on the world at the top of the agenda, mm. and he did. Um, but none of the politicians want to do it, so we had to take the eight most powerful or richest countries, including Canada, do a concert in each of those capitals. You, the, the Canadian one was up the road. A thousand artists, 3.2 billion people, and uh, they caved. And that was the payoff. Instead of in excess of $200 million, you now had $50 billion a year and you had the cancellation of debt to the poorest people in the world. So things do change, but that instrument of change is no longer plausible. Rock and roll was the central spine of 
my of our culture for 50 years. Well, there's no central spine of anything anymore. Correct. And that and that exactly is correct. I mean, there's something lovely about that and that we can all have our own tastes. And if I want to like Lawrence Welk, I can like Lawrence Welk and I can find Lawrence Welk for records and I can listen to it. If I want to like the Talking Heads, I can find Talking Heads. If you want to listen to this, you can listen to it. There's not a monoculture. There's not record labels showing us things anymore. There's something good about it. That's a minor good. What's less good is that, yes, you can find those things and then a machine says, if you like this, you like that. Mm -hmm. So you never move outside the ghetto of the self, the preference of your own. You never find a contrary opinion or something weird musically that you suddenly hear that you never knew expanded your brain and takes you off in whole directions. You could It's the bookshop. It's the record shop. You go in to buy X and suddenly you see, oh, yeah, I've heard about that wine. You get it. That doesn't happen with if you like this, you like that. Because you're going to find something too the, similar the to the thing you like. The web has broken down yeah. uh, the world into individualism, and that's easy for authoritarians to use. So there's no live – There's there, there could never be that again. Like a live, like 97% of the televisions in the world, Bob? 95%, yeah. Watching the same thing, watching a concert. Yeah. I mean, I said it on the way in and I heard you kind of go, hmm, when I said it's hard to fathom that now. Mm. I mean, the television, like, you know, the Tonight Show doesn't get, you know, the numbers No, it, it, it was get. extraordinary. Could, it, it couldn't happen again. No, because we were using what turned out to be the lingua franca of the planet, which wasn't English. It was pop. And we now know 1956, Elvis Little Richard, they didn't understand, but there was a reaction and a cultural revolution. The Beatles, the Stones and Dylan were, were pretty aware, you know, the contemptuous insolence of the Rolling Stones, the, the, uh, the refusal to be deferential uh, of the Beatles with their positive triple yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, Dylan mapping out uh, the route, you know, things are changing, dude. Get out of the way. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I, so I come in that period. I take everything from that. And when my generation happened and things have to change again, we use this this medium, this this minor art form, but a very powerful medium. Turns out the world is listening to this stuff now. And that does that won't happen again. And it won't really influence the politics of its time. In fact, the end at Glen Eagles in 2005, the day after Live 8, when they agreed to the stuff we demanded, that same day, the new world was introduced. The 21st century came over to roost when ISIS killed uh, 58 people uh, in the buses and tubes of London. And the Prime Minister Blair had to leave the negotiation table for the poorest in the world to deal with the massacre. He came back and then the deal was pushed through. Um, and so you had the end of a world of political cooperation, consensus and compromise. That won't happen again, not in this current world. Uh, and you had the introduction of a new, more barbaric world. And the politicians of today are avatars of that barbarism. So you can talk about rock and roll not being able to move the needle. Mm. But the web, which disables rock and roll... And should have been able to bring us all together. Politics. It should have been able to bring us all together. We're all on the same platform. It should have been able to in its promise. It, 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 you know, the, the, the logic of the world wide web this synaptic mem membrane that wraps itself around the planet, that we're all in touch with each other, presupposes a hive society. In fact, it doesn't. You know, and that's what's odd. And, you know, we thought that it would animate an economy. In fact, it sped it up beyond our, beyond our understanding. So the whole thing collapses with greed and humiliates country, put millions out of work, 
puts thousands into suicide. Wars erupt as a result. Millions are on the move to find new work or to escape war. And we threw up our walls and our barriers against him. We've reduced ourselves. The 21st century is reductionist and it's using a great tool of reductionism, the internet, and we need to know how to use this thing, which is the most powerful tool ever invented. I'm Tom Power, listening to Q. More of my conversation with Bob Geldof coming up. Hi, I'm Jesse Cruikshank. Jesse Cruikshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl, let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout. Because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl, yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. I'm Tom Power. You're listening to Q. You're in the middle of my conversation with the Irish singer-songwriter and activist Bob Geldof. He's also the lead singer of the band The Boomtown Rats. You might know him best as the guy behind the UK supergroup Band-Aid and their song Do They Know It's Christmas to benefit the Ethiopian famine in 1984, which led to his work with the American supergroup and their hit charity song We Are the World. There's a new documentary about that song on Netflix right now, so we thought it was a good time to revisit our conversation. And when I spoke with Bob back in 2020, the Boomtown Rats had put out music for the first time in 36 years. In this next part of our conversation, he talks about how anger brought him and the Boomtown Rats back together again, how he refuses to be cynical, and what he's fighting against today. When you listen to this record, the, the Boomtown Rats record, this, this, the uh, Citizens of Boomtown, I got the Trash Glam Baby single. You've already talked about this at the beginning of what we were saying, which was that you're kind of singing about the same. Nothing has really changed. You're singing about a lot of the same things you were singing back then, the same same rage, that same inequality. Mm. But Bob, by you're you're sitting on you're sitting on boards. You're still um, actively advocating for change. Someone who has seen these things the way you have would be very cynical. You don't seem cynical. I can't or, be or, cynical because it worked. But the how, thing, how, how are you not cynical now? The thing that my avatars told me, go down this route, dude. We change things. You can do it. Okay, yeah, I'll try. We had to be a little more empirical. Um, but, you know, there was, um, I remember one of the things uh, in the paper after Live Aid, the promise of rock and roll has been fulfilled. So John, in his great naivete, saying all you need is love, turns out, yeah, probably right. It turns out a wop, bop, a lop, bop, a lop, bam, boom. Brilliant. Not English. What is that? I don't know, but everybody gets it. So um, all those things came home to roost. Uh, How are you not cynical now, right? We just talked about how it couldn't happen now. No, absolutely it can't happen now, but that doesn't stop you raging against the dying of the light. That doesn't stop you acknowledging that all generations fail and some fail more spectacularly than others. Mine. It doesn't mean that you can't be Greta Thunberg and stand in front of your school silently and just say no. And, you know, you just talked about the single you're holding, Trash Glam Baby. It's it's a no. The girl I saw in the charity shop three years ago, this 16-year-old, this living glitter ball, you know, making a theatre of the self, a great rejection of what she'd been told you should look like and behave like. No, that's still there. The possibility to steer your world in the direction you need to live in, that's there. 
But it ain't this cyber wanking into the digital void. It isn't, yeah, what's it? This is really crap. That's nothing. It is a 10 billion digital petition is meaningless to authority. You've met Mark Zuckerberg. Do you think he knows that? I didn't meet Zuckerberg. I've seen, you, I've seen you talk about him by name, by first name. Yeah, I call him Mark because, because he's Mark, because he, we have him in our back pocket. You know, he's sucking up uh, everything I figured since you were calling him one first name, I figured you might have met. That's my mistake. Yeah, I call him Larry and Sergey. I have met them, you know, but they, should, they, they need to be broken up. Do they have they're any, dangerous. Do they have any idea what they're doing? No. I mean, the damage they're no, doing. No, no, they're not. It was no, none of it. It's all luck. You know, there were loads of Facebooks around. He just made it through because he wanted to meet girls. So everyone said, yeah, that's cool. And because he had the Ivy League pretensions and everyone thought, okay, I'd love to be in the Ivy League. You do it in advertising all the time. He stumbled upon this and he built this huge device and he is to be congratulated for it. But he's gone down a route uh, that is very similar to the industrialists of the 19th century. They are monopolies. They are very, no person like, should uh, have that standard power oil, or that wealth. Thing, yeah. You know, no one. And they should be broken up. So why are you telling these stories now, Bob? I mean, it feels like you're still going. It I don't like go on about this in the record, but the attitude of the record. I mean, the songs were... But even about your life, like what's inspired you? I'm looking at this book right now and on yeah. the record, I feel like I'm... I don't know. I feel like I feel like you're trying to explain... Maybe not explain, but I feel like you're, you're you're telling us where all this came from, as if we as if we could could lose it. Do you know or, what I mean? Or, or as, as if you could give a crap. You know? I could. I could. Um, <laughs> it comes from personal circumstances. That's that's for sure. I know that. You know, you, you just get asked about yourself so often. The personal circumstances of me being a kid were not great at all, and so you look for alternatives. You you have to function. You you need to create an own world in which you can function. And I suppose, in a cliched way, that's the essence of the entrepreneurial type. Winston Churchill never got an exam in his life. Uh, you know, Richard Branson never got an exam in his life. So these sort of people are, uh, uh, even the, the guys we're talking about, they're very socially awkward. People like Zuckerberg or, or Bill Gates. Um, you know, I, I, I know Bill. And, you know, here's a guy who took this monstrous thing he'd built and his vast wealth and decided, Maybe I can get rid of polio, this curse of humanity that's been there since we existed. One guy think maybe I could do this or malaria and pouring that vast brain and those vast resources and getting his mates to do it as well. Exceptional. Socially awkward for sure. He's learned how to do it. But you can see these people learning. And in 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 their earlier life, they need to create, as I said, an own universe in which they can function. But in order to create that, they must create a world for themselves. And my, I'm not socially awkward, but... No, you're, you're, you're fine. It was, it was an unwelcoming and cold and fairly bleak world. So I found something, rock and roll, that I grabbed hold of and for dear life and still... You would have to prize my break my fingers to prize my hands away from that golden thread. Um, you know who was that guy? Was it not Clint Eastwood? Who was the head of the NRA and Charlton Heston? Charlton Heston, yeah. From his, my cold dead hands. Yeah, exactly. Well, rock and roll doesn't give you cold or dead hands; they give you warm, glowing ones. You play things with them. <laughs> Bob, nice to talk to you. Cheers, man.
comes a time when we heed a certain call, when the world must come together as one. There are people dying. That's a little bit of uh, We Are the World featuring my favorite. A nonplussed Bob Dylan. Before that, my conversation with the guy who inspired the singers before they started recording that song. Singer, songwriter, and activist Bob Geldof. A new documentary about the recording of We Are the World. It's called The Greatest Night in Pop. Is out now on Netflix. The other conversation we have up today is uh, with the BC band Spirit Box, who are nominated for Best Metal Performance at this year's Grammys. A very challenging um a category to get into if your band's name doesn't rhyme with Alica or Ipnot. So uh, very, very cool that they got nominated. We're going to talk a little bit about how it happened. Go check that out. See you soon. Later on. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.